Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for I'm David Steele, the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with the master of game. Curdy. Hey, Bruce. How are you doing? Hey, David. How are you doing today? I, I'm pretty pumped. I mm-hmm. am pretty pumped. Uh, I think the whole thing of the Oilers crashing in the playoffs the last two years was kind of weighing on me for the first round and I had a sense of doom mm-hmm. a little bit of a sense of doom impending doom the whole time even though I thought the orders were the better team I thought they should be able to handle the Kings mm-hmm. um, yet the Kings took them to seven games and there was reasons for that there was inconsistent play from the Oilers um, there were some injuries and it was just uh, it was a hard series in a lot of ways but they found their way through it and I think they actually I, I think they found they may have found something that can can uh, get them through a much tougher series coming up against the Calgary Flames, the Battle of Alberta. So, what are your, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm still enjoying. I mean, we had five games, seven on the weekend. Yeah. And uh, four of them were one goal games, and only one was the blowout, eh, by the Oilers, two nothing over the Kings. And yeah. two of them went to overtime. Two of them went right down to the to the death, as they say in the soccer. Uh, 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 community, but uh, um, for a while there, it looked as if Dallas might actually sneak by Calgary, and that would very much obviously change the equation of what happens next with home ice advantage and so on. But uh, finally, uh, uh, Johnny B. Goodrow found a tiny hole in the massive armor of Steve Ottinger, and uh, so Calgary is through having survived a scare of their own in the first round. So uh, both both teams were heavier favorites than they wound up winning by in the first round, but in the end, the two best teams in the Pacific are through. There you go. Yeah, that was a. Uh, I was I was saying I uh, was I was just turning into the Flames game. I got, I was busy last night, mm-hmm. and then I I turned it on and they scored and and I had been hoping for Dallas. I guess you know hoping to see that because I think Dallas would have been an easier opponent, but. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited about this. This is, this couldn't be better. We we've needed this in, uh, for a long time, and we're finally getting it. Like it's truly thrilling playoff series. The one we, the one you know, the series that we looked forward to more than any in the, uh, in the 1980s, and it's back. So I'm I'm really happy the owners are going to be doing this. Bruce, we're going to do a, um, we're going to look back a little bit at the last series, but th- through a frame of looking forward at this coming one. So it's it's looking back at what happened against the Kings and during the regular season and thinking about what are what are a couple of reasons that maybe give you optimism that the Oilers, what you've seen, are going to beat the Flames, and what's one thing that's kind of nagging at you um, that you think might be a reason the Flames will beat the Oilers. So um, why don't you start it off? What's your what's your first reason for optimism heading into this? this series based on what you just saw and I've seen. Yeah, uh, simply put, we got Connor McDavid and they don't. And uh, I shouldn't say we, because we're all supposed to be impartial here, even as fan no. bloggers. But uh, well, maybe. as a fan blogger and living in Edmonton, I'll say the Oilers have uh, Connor McDavid and the Flames do not. So there's plenty of reason for uh, to create optimism. We've seen uh, uh, in recent days, uh, McDavid take over and dominate three consecutive hockey games as even the 5-4 loss in game five 
where the Oilers put up a, a, a spirited three-goal comeback in the third period, and they just couldn't handle um, uh, McDavid. The Kings couldn't, and I'm not sure who could. I mean, Calgary does have a good, disciplined, defensive team. Uh, they're obviously, uh, I think, obviously going to try and uh, put a physical pounding on them. But uh, that said, uh, their big physical defense pair is their third pair, and they won't want too much of that matchup, I wouldn't imagine, against uh, Edmonton's top line. But uh, uh, McDavid's, uh, I mean, he scored 14 points in the, in the uh, uh, first round of the playoffs. Uh, he was plus 10, I believe. And, you know, there was only one empty net goal, I think, in, on each team's side. So that was legit. At even strength, 5-on-5, five five, he was 11-4, four, 4 against. And he, I mean, he just was in the high 60s or even 70s percent in mo- most of the advanced stat metrics, 70.6% expected goal share. I mean, that's just off the charts fantastic. And he himself was off the charts fantastic in the last... Uh, uh, all throughout the series, but I, I think just getting more and more fearsome and committed to the cause. And I made, like over the years, like people sort of comp- compared him to the great Oiler dynasties that he's sort of the Gretzky of this dynasty. But over the weekend, I heard a few Mark Messier references to Connor McDavid, and this is a good thing. Yeah. McDavid, or what Messier brought to that team was the fearsome willpower. And uh, we saw, I think, a, 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 a startling display of that in uh, in these most recent games. And I think he's dialing it up to the point where what it's going to take is is me at the very, you know, bringing all that I can bring. And we're just seeing him winning all kinds of puck battles, spinning off a defenseman, doing these moves and that, to shaking guys with these uh, rapid spin moves in the uh, uh, against would-be checkers and leaving them in his wake and driving the puck to the net and uh, finding finding ways to create chaos and goals. You know, if, if I'm completely honest, Bruce, about Connor McDavid, I'm going to say he came up, he not only came up short in previous playoffs years, he came up significantly short of what he's capable of. And um, I don't know why that was necessarily because in the regular season, he was a much better player, like a much, you know, he was the dominant NHL player in each of those seasons, just like he was this year and should be winning the MVP award. If people didn't have their agendas, he would be the MVP again this year. And I'm sure the players will give him their their award for being the best player. I'm, I'm not, but we'll see. I bet you they will. I hope so. Um, I hope so, too. I expect <laughs> they will. Anyway. He, he did come up short in the playoffs and most, mostly, most of all in 2017, I think, where um, a number of players were on the orders, Dreisaitl and Clefbaum in particular, were better players for the orders than McDavid was that year. Um, but also in the last two years, and it, and it did come down, I think, to his psychological factors, um, both his understanding of the game, um, the need to be the need to be as uh, conscientious, intense and conscientious on defense as he was dynamic and um, intent on the attack. They now match up. He is a completely integrated player where both sides of his game are played with the same amount of intensity and ferocity and attention to detail. 
it is a tremendous uh, improvement in his play, Bruce. The, the level of play that we just saw from Connor McDavid in that series was off the charts. And it's off our own charts. We, we mm-hmm. look at grade A scoring chances. Connor McDavid um, this year in the regular season had his best year in terms of grade A, uh, his contributions to grade A chances for and against. His plus minus was 2.3 grade A uh, uh, contributions on grade A shots per 15 minutes, essentially per game. So he had, he had, you know, he had, he's been, he started at about as a, as a younger player, he was about plus one, plus 1. 1.2. He gradually rose um, 1.7, 1.8, 1.9. And this year in the regular season, 2.3 plus 2.3 per game group on grade A mm-hmm. shots. So there's been this growth in his game that we've charted. We've seen with our own eyes uh, f- from video analysis this year in, in, in the seven playoff games against the Kings, he was plus 3.7. He almost doubled his regular season output, Bruce. And I mean, it's just, it's awesome what he did in that series. It, it, tr- it truly was. He went Connor McDavid supernova. Like he, he just exploded in a way that he has it. And it, and it was at both ends of the ice. And, you know, we've always, you know, some, in some ways the question was before, like, you know, is he going to be this vastly improved version of Taylor Hall on the Oilers? You know, Taylor Hall was this incredible dynamic offensive hockey player who was who was iffy on defense. So, you know, McDavid came in and he was he was clearly going to be a lot better than Taylor Hall. But how, you know, what what was going to be the trajectory? Well, now I think the question is, is he going to be he's starting to play like Sidney Crosby has played in the playoffs, learned yeah. to play in the playoffs. And is he going to be an improved version of that player? I think is the question. Now, now that's that's the that should be the, that should be his question. That should be his ambition. And to do that, he's got to keep winning in the playoffs. And and my my prediction for this playoffs is he's going to single hand. He he is going to lift the Oilers above the Calgary Flames. I think the Oilers are going to win this series, and I think it's going to be because of Connor McDavid, uh, and and what he brings to the team right now. What we just saw was spectacular. And it, yeah. it, entirely encouraging, like couldn't be more encouraging. If he, you know, if the only thing that could be better is if everyone was healthy. But as long as he stays healthy, as long as he's there and some of the some of the you know the lots of other key players, because there's lots of key players on the orders now. If he's healthy, this the orders will win. That's my uh, that's my thought on this series. What do you my, have for uh, uh, optimism besides that? <laughs> My other thing, I just I was just listening to Elliot Friedman and uh, Jeff Merrick's their podcast about the Leafs and about what the Leafs need, and it was really interesting because they were going they just they just need a this massive hideous jerk on their top lines this this nasty awful player that everybody hates to play against who's got some skill who actually can hang in there and play hockey, and I thought well I know one team that's going to be bidding for a Vander Kane this summer. Um, so this is what the Oilers needed, Bruce. You know, once they got rid of Maroon, you know, who was who was actually doing that role pretty well um, on the Oilers, and they decided, you know, the whole signing Milan Lucic thing, and they they chose Lucic over Maroon, essentially a huge mistake. Since they lost that guy, Patrick Maroon, they didn't have anyone who could fulfill that role. But when they brought in Kane, Evander Kane, they had that guy, and and. The way I look at it, he he brings. It's the first time the Oilers have had that kind of swagger in a player, that kind of 
ultimate uh, alpha male confidence that you see from Kane. L- love him or hate him, and lots of people hate him. Exactly. He <laughs> he is the unplugged alpha, and he goes for it on the ice. He's a nasty customer. But I think every player who's on the ice with him feels, uh, you know, two inches taller and 20 pounds of muscle heavier. They all start going for it. And they're, 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 this team is, they're feeding off Connor McDavid and Evander Kane and some other players too, who are leaders on this team. I think Mike Smith and, and a few others, but it's McDavid and Kane who are setting the tone. He's the, he's the power forward this team needed for forever. And they've got him. And, you know, Matt Kachuk is a, he, we hate him because he is that player too. Um, he's going to cause all kinds of trouble for the Oilers this mm-hmm. series. But the Oilers finally have an answer, I think. In yes, Evander that's Kane. a fair way to put it. Kat Kane is going to cause all kinds of trouble. The Flames fans are going to hate his guts by the end of this series, Bruce. And I, I just, I just hope that the hate is like a mountain of hate for Evander Kane, because that will be a good thing for the Edmonton Oilers, and that's what I expect to happen. And that's what we saw with LA. He, he was given face washes, elbows, dirty plays, going to the net, playing hard, scoring goals, everything a power forward should be. He was, and um, that's my, that's my. Uh, I mean, I share in your reason for optimism with McDavid, but that's my, that's my. Uh, first pick for the other reason yeah well you talk about power forwards and and uh, uh one thing i look for in powered uh, power forwards is crooked numbers across the statistical spectrum and i mean in the playoffs uh, kane i mean seven goals in seven games uh two assists uh, nine points plus five but he also had 16 penalty minutes and 32 hits and you know he was just involved in the in the uh, in the physical side and the and the down and dirty the scrummage, and also effective you know around their net obviously with uh, with all those goals and and uh, uh, I thought he had a uh, I also believe he led the league in sh- or the team in shots I think he, I think uh, I haven't got it in front of me 34 shots I mean. And so he was really bringing it throughout round one, and I see no reason that that's going to change. I mean, if uh, you broke down uh, Evander Kane's half season into two quarter seasons, I think you'd see he came on pretty strong down the stretch after sort of feeling his way into it for a little while after having not played a lot of hockey for a long time. And so he's uh, uh, he's become a, a, a factor, and that... that um, uh, has changed the look of the orders. He had uh, you were you were correct, Bruce, including with mm-hmm. the number thirty-four. Mm-hmm. McDavid next best twenty-seven. Wow. Hyman twenty-six. Yeah, Hyman twenty-six. Nugent Hopkins nineteen, and Drysaddle just seventeen, which speaks to his state of health, which we're going to be mm-hmm. getting to. You know, if the orders were relying, if we were heading into this series and and the, we were relying from for our you know toughness on Zach Cassian, you know, I would be worried. And I think it would be cause, not cause to worry because Zach Cassian, he can't really play on a top line. He doesn't have the right. skill to hang in there. You know, that's I just want to just a brief aside on Zach Cassian. There was a lot of skepticism, like, you know, the last couple of years, like, oh, well, Zach Cassian just needs to play with fans in the building and cheering him on and he'll he'll be good again. And a lot of people laughed at that. I probably did at one point, too. thought that was a really stupid idea. Um, and, you know, because he sometimes they're often were full houses but i have to say bruce 
that was the best hockey Zach Cassian has played in since the Anaheim series was against the LA Kings. He really did come alive in the in these playoffs so far. He he was he was a good hockey player and he was he played physical hockey. So maybe there was something to that that we uh, uh, sneered at that we should retract. Um, what is your next? Well, he was a, a lot bigger point. factor in that series than Warren Fogle was, now wasn't he? He he certainly and, was, and that was my know, prediction. I, Fogel I was looking today at the you know the Oilers contract situation, and uh, you know a lot of people have been looking at that casting contract, myself included. Two more years, three point two million, and you asked me today, and I'll still say that's a heavy load to carry for what they get, but. Uh, they have uh, not much difference in uh, in Warren Fogle, and he had essentially played his way out of the lineup. So that's yeah. I guess that's a cause for negativism. But uh, I mean, you have uh, I guess some redundancy there, and in the playoff series, Casting was uh, I thought pretty solid, not perfect, and he's never going to be. But uh, uh, but uh, more positive contributions than uh, the other way. You know, the, if he was the Oilers' sole tough, like, you know, the main tough guy, the worry would be, like, they'll get under his skin. They'll make him do so. Like, you know, like, Kachuk has gotten under his skin. Yes. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't want that. But mm-hmm. Kane is a different – he's a different breed of cat. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm looking forward to this. Bruce, what is your second cause for optimism? Yeah, uh, it's – the improvement of the Oilers under Jay Woodcroft, and it's the Jay Woodcroft factor going to the series. And and uh, saying that, I'll acknowledge that Calgary also has an outstanding and obviously way more proven Stanley Cup winning coach in Daryl Sutter. So it's not like Oilers have a huge edge behind the bench, but I just think they're a way better coach team and they're going to be better prepared. Uh, they're going to have a better uh, response to stuff that goes sideways on him as we just saw in the LA series where they got behind the eight ball and, and uh, uh, Woodcroft came up with a with a, a, a wrinkle on his uh, 11 forward strategy that I thought was nothing short of brilliant that basically he he had a second line with no center uh, he you know he had a first line of, of uh, McDavid with Drysaddle and Yamamoto and a second line that was Hyman on one wing and Kane on the other wing and no real center. And then the third and fourth lines were intact lines. So he had like a top five and a bottom six. And then he rotated through uh, the centers, the three main centers, uh, especially McDavid, but also uh, Nugent Hopkins and McLeod uh, took their turns between uh, uh, Hyman and Kane and However they lined up, they had an effective line. Whereas previous versions of that strategy, it had sort of a fourth line with two extra forwards, you know, Cassian and Broussard or, or Shore, uh, you know, and, and McDavid or someone could go down there and make them a little livelier, but he wasn't going to turn them into a scoring line. Whereas Kane and, and Hyman, they're a scoring line almost no matter who is the center. And so I just thought it was, it was such a cool wrinkle, and it worked tremendously to Oilers' advantage in those last two games. Now, he, it may be a wrinkle that doesn't work in the next series, and they'll have to come up with something different. But what I have confidence in is that Jay Woodcroft and staff will find uh, something different to uh, to respond. Like last year, the when the Oilers got behind in Game 1, 
Dave Tippett's response was, well, let's put Drysaddle together with McDavid. And then he just left them together for the whole rest of the series. It didn't seem like there was any more uh. wrinkles uh, at his disposal. And with Jay Woodcroft, I don't have that concern. And <clears throat> just to bring to the fore, since he was uh, hired on uh, February 10th, uh, the, here are the top teams in the National Hockey League of the 32 teams by points. Number one, Calgary Flames, uh, 26, 8, and 5 for 57 points. Number two, Edmonton Oilers, 26, 9, and 3 for 55 points. And only Florida Panthers, who, uh, you know, all they did was win the Presence Trophy. Uh, they had a slightly better points percentage because they didn't play quite as many games in that stretch as the Oilers and uh, Flames and Oilers did. But over basically since the All-Star break, these are two of the very top teams in the league. And that gives me optimism that we're going to see a tremendous series. I think so. I think so. Could be. We could be let down, of course, but... Uh... I don't think so. Um, yeah, Woodcroft, I mean, to, to give Dave Tippett a little bit of credit, he didn't mm-hmm. have Zach Hyman and Evander Kane on, on the wings, right? To, Last to, year, he did not. To, to shuffle things up. So it really, you know, the, the, those moves have been, uh, they were substantial mm-hmm. additions. Zach Hyman also played very well, I thought, in that round against Los Angeles and mm-hmm. um, brings a lot to the team. Bruce, my um, second reason for optimism is the game that the Oilers found in games. Uh, they, they first got it in game two, but in game six and seven, the defensive game that they found. And I think what they realized is it, to the extent that they just rely on talent. And I think that they, they have so many talented players who who have relied on you know, I'm not saying they're not hardworking. They are. They are incredibly hardworking, and they have worked hard all all their lives to score goals. They have worked hard on their stick handling, their shooting, their passing, their skating, all of their offensive skills. They have been fanatically devoted to all of their hockey careers, and it paid off uh, with each of these players being high, highly sought after throughout their careers. You know, first line attackers. High draft picks, you know, it, at least first round draft picks, if not at the very top of the first round. You know, so McDavid, first overall, RNH, first overall, Dreisaitl, was he was that third, third overall. overall? Kane, he was a he was a high draft pick. Um mm-hmm. Cassie, Fourth, I think. Cassian was, was 13th overall in his draft Yamamoto, year or 14th. Yamamoto, mm-hmm. high draft pick. Puliarvi overall. Um, so they, they have all these forwards who are who who worked their way up one way and i think there is a tendency of all of them to re- rely on that offensive uh genius offensive uh intensity that they have and and it's there it's great but it, i think it's it's bit them in the butt in the playoffs because when they've needed to shut down the opposing teams they mm-hmm. haven't been able to but what they have found under Woodcroft, especially, and it's they've been working towards this for years. Now all of them work hard on their defensive play in the NHL. Like I'm not saying they haven't, but what it came together finally. It actually came together in the series against Los Angeles in Game Six when they realized like we can't, we cannot let these guys score. We've got to shut them down, or we're, we're going to lose this. We could lose this game. We could be out of the playoffs again, again. And yeah. I and it just hit home in a way. Desperation drives change, and it hit home in a way that made them finally do it. All of them, they all did it. 
it was it was incredible to see. It was a it was and they realized we have more offensive talent than any other team probably in the NHL. And if we decide to outwork them and outthink them on defense as well, just hustle perspiration and and making the right reads and awareness, we will win. We can that's the formula for us to win in the NHL. They finally got it. And it, it was it was incredible to see. They just they dominated the Los Angeles Kings in game seven. You know, yeah. thirteen to five for grade A shots. They dominated the Kings in grade in game six, seventeen to seven in grade A shots. This was a deserving Oilers team, and it was a formula which they which I think they now realize they can replicate. It's just up to them. They know how to do it now. They've done it. And they they can do this against the Calgary Flames. The Oilers have more offensive firepower than the Calgary Flames, as as good as Calgary is. And Calgary's a very these are very close teams. Like it's there's not much to separate them. Even on the attack, where you have players like Lindholm and Gaudreau and Kachuk, who are fantastic offensive attackers. But the Oilers have better attackers, and um, if they they can, I think they can match the Flames' defensive intensity. This is what the Flames had over the Oilers. Right. Um, this year, and the Oilers have finally got it. They've got the formula. They've got the right idea. So that's this is my second reason for optimism. All right. Well, they uh, certainly if they bring the games that they brought in games six and seven, they're going to be a very tough out for anybody. And in the the Flames will have to bring their A game, which is considerable, and, and uh, you know they're they're a really good team. And of course, they have uh, what many people deem to be an advantage in net. Uh, although the numbers say that Mike Smith has been just fine, better than just fine, since uh, finally finding his, you know, reasonable health in uh, uh, the late part of the season. But he was good in the first round. I mean, LA had. Nice. 24 expected goals in that series, and they actually scored 17. You know, so that's uh, that's net mining. That's uh, that's that kind of difference. So we'll uh, we'll see if he can carry it on against his old team and uh, a big head-to-head matchup against uh, 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 Jacob Markstrom at the other end. Yeah, I, I was almost like we're moving on now to our what reasons for pessimism. And I was in, in the, my mind, it's the goaltending, right? Like mm-hmm. in my head. But I, I don't know if that's fair to Mike Smith. Um, he He's in April, you know, we, once he got healthy, once he was healthy, mm-hmm. he was great. And when he got and you know, he down the stretch, fantastic. And in the playoffs, he was at least good. And um, some he was super solid in these in these last in these last few games. I mean, he did give give away with the puck handling the first yep. game. Yeah, and he but, uh, back from that to his full credit. That was a pretty devastating mistake that would have punctured some people. And he bounced back with uh, uh, some pretty good net mining. Yeah. Um, so, what were the expected goals, Bruce? Uh, t- it's like twenty three point eight or something on uh, natural star trick. Yeah, it's funny um, when you look at the. I got the seventeen, we, including an empty netter. When you look at the way we measure it, like with our own eyeballing and you know mm-hmm. process to come up with grade A shots and five alarm shots, we expected based on our calculations that he would give up twenty three goals. Oh, there you go. So, um, 
exactly the same. It worked out too this time. Um, all right. So what is your cause for pessimism, Bruce? What are you thinking? Oh, it's general state of health of some important players and uh, uh, two sort of very frontline uh, players in Leon Dreisaitl and Darnell Nurse. And I would argue, uh, uh, yes, Paul Yarby has not been 100% for a while. And he was a first line player who's, you know, gradually fallen down the lineup in part uh, for... Uh, uh, I think physical reasons, uh, but concentrating first on Leon Dreisaitl, who's such a hugely significant, uh, you know, he's been, uh, uh, if not McDavid's equal for long chunks of time over these last uh, uh, several seasons, he's been a, a fabulous first lieutenant and a guy capable of, you know, winning games uh, for the team and, you know, being being a game breaker uh, and an all-rounder who does so many different things for him. He can play wing or center. Uh, he's awesome on the power play, set, set a team record for uh, power play goals. Uh, he, you know, he's their uh, uh, defensive face-off zone expert, and he's their three-on-five penalty-killing expert. This is a guy who does a lot of different things. But he was already hurt, and he banged himself up late in the season, uh, taking a run at Trevor Zegras in uh game in anaheim and then in the playoffs i mean uh, he was targeted by la and he wound up suffering what they're calling now a high ankle sprain uh when he was mugged from behind and wrenched down to the ice by uh, mikey anderson uh, uh in a secondary scrum that somehow avoided any attention or supervision from the league's officials or player safety department but which i saw as a you know, significantly kind of dirty uh, play that's uh, that, that compromised the Oilers' chances then and there, but still going forward, high ankle sprains. I mean, the way Leon was skating, you know, when he puts on his full full head of steam, he's pretty hard to stop. And in Game 7, I never saw that head of steam at any point. I mean, he got through it. He somehow played 22 and a half minutes, but we did not see the kind of power skating that is a really big part of his game. And I don't know what percent he is. All I know it's it's something significantly below 100. And what I also know is that the Calgary Flames and uh, uh, will take, uh, uh, won't say, oh, well, this guy's banged up a little bit. We better stand off and give him a little space. I expect, frankly, quite the reverse. So, Yeah, lots of hacks uh, yeah. on, the, on the wounded knee, or the wounded ankle, I should say. Mm-hmm. Uh, bury our hearts at wounded ankle. <laughs> so, and then just to add to that, Darnell Nurse, uh, who got hurt in the um, playoff clinching win against Colorado, missed the last games of the regular season, came back for the playoffs. Uh, and I would say fairly obviously by eye, he too is something under 100%. He's got a he's got a wonky wheel, and he. Uh, Rather than get stronger as the series got went along, I thought he was actually starting to flag a little bit. Uh, at the ga- end of Game 5, I thought he, he looked pretty whipped, and of course that was a game that he took a suspension, possibly uh, born out of frustration. Uh, and he bounced back. I mean, he had a pretty good uh, Game 7, and he, you know he had good stats in the series, but I, I don't think we have the, like the Darnell Nurse that I would have expected in the playoffs. Uh, I'm more of a take charge physical guy 
and I th I think he's a little bit more um, uh, and, and it's not all bad, you know. Stay at home and and uh, uh, take care of business and and uh, uh, survive. But uh, I I just think he's down a, a court as well. And uh, those are I mean that's the core leadership group of the Oilers. I think everyone would identify the same three players, and two of them are banged up. Yeah, frustrating, eh, Bruce? Real frustrating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially on a, after the whistle scrum. Uh, that one really pisses me off, to be honest. Just looking up Darnell Nurse's. Yeah, well, he was in the regular season. He had 6.6 .6 hits per 60, mm -hmm. and he was down one hit a game, 5.6. Now, normally, I think you'd expect the player to be up in terms of his hit right. ratio of hits yeah. in the playoffs, and he was down one hit. That's what I noticed. You just well, the team was way up. They were up to 40 per game, and I don't think they they had 39 was their top in the whole season in one game. Nurse, and they were yeah. over 40 consistently in the King series. But it wasn't Nurse that was doing that. It was forward. And I don't, I don't remember a hard hit from Darnell Nurse. Like you'd expect him to have some just really hard hits, yeah. and we we didn't see that. I think he's lacking some explosiveness, some agility in his yeah. with his legs too, is his leg mm -hmm. injury. So, you know, there's times past with Darnell Nurse. Hopefully, he is mending, and we don't know with Dreisaitl the extent of that injury. Hopefully he'll be mending too. Like these are really unknowns for us. Like maybe they will, you know, sometimes you sprain your ankle and you're good uh, two days later. And then other times it's like two months later and you're still limping. So who knows what's uh, yeah. the situation is with either of these players. We just don't know. But Bruce, what, what concerned me with Dreisaitl is like they, they count on him on the power play to unleash the executioner shot, you know, lashing that mm -hmm. stick and driving that puck home. He, it's the it's the best option for scoring. If that's gone, that's that's a big loss for the Edmonton Oilers, and I'm really worried that that's not going to be there. That he won't have that kind of leverage on his shot. But it's compounded by the fact if he's in the lineup and he's still there and he's in that spot, but he can't make that play. Right. It's an it's an opportunity cost. Like you got to play mm -hmm. him, but he can't he can't yeah. you know. He, Someone mm -hmm. else actually might do better, but he's Leon Dreisaitl. You're going to have him out there. And who? <laughs> Woodcroft is going to have him out there. Yeah, and, who, who who would do better, though? I mean. Well, oh, who would do better? Like, if he's injured, you mean? Like, no. um, Well, even then. Well, that's it. Like, someone might not do better. Like, Paul actually had a pretty good game seven. Like, he was, yep. he made some, he made the play on. Like, he makes, yep. he still makes plays. Mm -hmm. But, you know, so that's a fair question. Who, well, Evander Kane might, like, you know, like you don't know, right? Because Kane's not right. on the top power play. Um, mm -hmm. we, we don't, you know, that's just one guy that you could have out there. But it's not, that won't happen if he's in the lineup. So it's like with, with Nurse, right? The game that he missed in game six, was he really missed? I mean, Kulak stepped up and played as well as Darnell Nurse did the whole the whole series. Chris Russell was was fine. I mean, when when players are playing hurt, there's this kind of weird calculation, like, are you really helping the team or not? And that's what I'm. That's one of the things I'm worried about with both these players in this in this um, series. And I know it's it's a harsh thing to say, and unwelcome. People won't like to hear that. But that's that's that is my one of my concerns. Um, that said, Drysaddle was pretty good in Game Seven, playing on one one ankle, one and a half ankles. And uh, I think you. I, I I expect. I just hope this is one of these ankle injuries that
you know, quick healing rather than long healing. And Leon strikes me, he's as sturdy as they come for an NHL hockey player. And if anyone's going to bounce back fast, I, I'm betting on Leon Dreisaitl. He's got that kind of musculature frame where I just think he can take a lot and he can bounce back fast. So fingers crossed. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, uh, he was asked by reporters in a, a fairly wordy question after the after Game Seven about the status of his injury, and he just said, "I'm fine," deadpan, and then a little smile afterwards, like that's all you're getting out of me. But uh, it's pretty clear that he's not fully fine. But uh, he was fine enough to play and uh, play 22 minutes, and you know, got a point and a plus two and a. In a two-nothing game, like he helped the cause, there's no question about that, and uh, he will continue to do that, but maybe not to the full peak that uh, we would we would uh, expect and hope for. Here's one for you, Bruce. Uh, in terms of hits per sixty in the playoffs, mm-hmm. Evan Bouchard had had a higher rate of hits per sixty than than Darnell Nurse. In fact, than anybody on the Oilers. Evan think, Evan Bouchard now. had the highest hits per sixty of any Oilers defenseman. And it wasn't that high. So this is this is my mm-hmm. concern. Okay. This is this is going to be my cause for some pessimism. Pessimism is um, this group of Oilers defensemen is really high skill. Like that old concern that that existed. Like this team can't move the puck well enough to win in the playoffs. It's gone. Like these guys can move the puck. There's and there's some really good puck movers. And you know, starting with Evan Bouchard, Duncan Keith, Tyson Berry, Cece's pretty good with the puck. Nurse is a, a puck mover so that's not the issue but i do have a little bit the flames are they're a big tough physical hockey team and i worry whether the oilers defensemen might get overwhelmed at times by the flames physicality and um you know they're gonna have to figure out a way to not have that happen to um, move the puck fast enough smartly enough and also to 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 get ready and to take on that physical challenge like Evan Bouchard seemed to be doing right in the in the first round um like like CC Kulak Barry like these are veteran hockey players they should be able to handle this kind of physical pressure uh Duncan Keith this is why they brought in Duncan Keith who had by the way pretty strong who had a very good game 7 and was pretty good in game 6 as well after having a couple of really terrible games mm-hmm. so they they showed against LA, which has also had a you know some big tough forwards and and can play hard, um, but I think the Flames are going to be that much tougher and that much harder and faster on the on these defensemen than the LA Kings were, and I just I'm just wondering how the how is this going to go? How's this going to work? Can they can they match up? Can they match that that hitting? Yeah, well Calgary will be trying to. Trying to uh, uh, play a physical game against the Oilers um, forwards for sure, and I think we'll see that Zadorov and Good Branson. I mean, that's a pretty fearsome pairing, and hopefully the Oilers can beat them with uh, with speed. But they they held their own. But they they were very carefully managed by Calgary that they, you know, they didn't play a whole lot of the tough minutes. So, but we'll see how much we we actually see McDavid against those guys, for instance. But uh, uh, Calgary's got a you know a pretty strong sort of well-defined hierarchy on their defense, and of course they have a big question of injury now with Chris Tanev, who went down in Game Six, left the ice, never played Game Seven, and I think they're being pretty tight-lipped about his availability going forward. 
Now, having a couple of days off, because this series doesn't start now until Wednesday, will help all these guys a little bit. To, I mean, this is... Uh, uh, normally, the orders would be playing today, Monday. They've been playing every other day till now, and they just get today off, and then they just go pick it up again on Wednesday, and they'll go every other day again. So this, this little break will probably be to the benefit of both. But Edmonton will have one more day rest than does Calgary entering the series. Yeah, it's a good point you're making about Good Branson and um, Zadorov. The, the Flames' physicality is mainly those two players. Like, they're the two most fearsome hitters on that team, right? And they're both on oh. defense. Yep. So, Same pair, uh, yeah. you know, the, the forwards, in terms of who hits, their, their top hitting was Brett Ritchie, who only played four of the seven games because they don't love him too much. He was their top hitting guy in terms of uh, hits per 60. And then Lucic, Milan Lucic who seems rejuvenated in Calgary. And Trevor Lewis was next, Dylan Dubé, Blake Coleman. So it's not like, I mean, this isn't the 1970s Philadelphia Flyers coming in to, to crunch you. Like, this isn't that. They're a physical team, but it's not the main element of their forwards game. So, um, but there is some big guys there. And... Uh, <laughs> They can do some damage. I, I saw, it was interesting. I saw Lucic on TV after the game and I thought, I, I don't know if this is true. I'm just eyeballing him. Bruce, he looks way lighter than mm-hmm. he was when he, when he, when he was in Edmonton. And I don't know um, if he has lost a lot of weight. He looked to me like he's lost a lot of weight in terms. And I think maybe that's really helped his game. I haven't that's watched. the worst idea that. for sure. Yeah. They survive in this NHL. He was, mm-hmm. he wasn't quick enough in Edmonton. And he seems to be he rediscovered his hockey game in in Calgary. Good for him. Like I don't I don't have any hard feelings against Milan Lucic. He's a hell of a hockey player in his day, and it looks like he's rediscovered that to some extent in Calgary. So, sure made a nice pass, backhand pass right across the slot for a one timer that was very dangerous last night. I believe in in uh, even in overtime that that occurred. I just saw the 30 minute game of the version of the game because I was. Uh, off chasing the lunar eclipse last night, but uh, it was uh, uh, it was uh, uh, I, that play caught my eye of you know pretty darn good pass from a supposed uh, you know fourth line plumber that's uh, you know got a history of uh, scoring in the past and uh, don't take him lightly. Let's put it that way. You try and beat him and you hope that uh, that you can get the better of him, but uh, it won't be easy. Well, Bruce, let's uh, let's leave it there, and uh, you know, go Oilers. Mm-hmm. Go, go Oilers. It's uh, Wednesday night, and uh, anticipation for sure. After five battles of Alberta between 1983 and 91, playoff versions, <clears throat> it's been a three-decade wait for the next one, and it's high time. Let's uh, let's go. Bruce, thanks for talking today. All right, thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. I've got to figure out how to do this. Stop recording here.